Thank you so much for joining us for today's podcast. We'll get started in just a moment. If this is your first time here, please consider subscribing so that you may stay up to date with the latest podcast. And if our podcast brings value to your life, please consider sharing it with family and friends. Thanks for listening. And now here's today's podcast. Thanks for joining us for the Covenant Living Broadcast with Pastor John Butler of Covenant Life Church, located at 130 Atlantic Avenue in Bremen, Georgia. Y'all grab your Bibles, turn with me to Judges chapter 4. Judges chapter 4. book of Judges in the Old Testament right after Joshua we're going to read the first 10 verses we're going to wind up reading the whole chapter so y'all right it is still okay to read the Bible in church right it's still okay just making sure Judges chapter 4 verse 1 after Ehud's death Uh, And y'all need to go to chapter 3 and read that story. That's pretty cool too. Uh, The Israelites again did evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord turned them over to uh, King Jabin of Razor, a Canaanite king. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in a place that I can never pronounce. Verse 3, Sisera, who had 900 iron chariots, ruthlessly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help. Deborah, the the wife of Lapidoth, was a prophet who was judging Israel at the time. She would sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. The Israelites would go to her for judgment. One day she sent Barak, son of Abinoam, who lived at Kadesh in the land of Naphtali. She said to him, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, commands you. Call out 10,000 warriors from the tribes of Naphtali and Zebulun at Mount Tabor, and I will call out Sisera, commander of Jabin's army, along with his chariots and warriors to the Kishon River, and there I will give you victory over him. And Barak told her, I will go, but only if you go with me. Very well, she replied, I will go with you, but you will receive no honor in this venture, for the Lord's victory over Sisera will be at the hands of a woman. So Deborah went, to Bar- went with Barak to Kadesh. At Kadesh, Barak called the tribes of Zebulun and Naphtali, and 10,000 warriors went up with him. Deborah also went up with him. Father, I just pray that you bless our time in the Word together today. I thank you, Lord, for these people that you brought together. For the first time in history, this bunch of people is in one place at one time. Maybe never again. And so, Lord, I pray that you help us to maximize what it is that you brought us here to to teach us and to tell us today. Help us to listen to your voice and not just hear it and know it, but do it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, as we continue our series called Patriarchs, Prophets, and Priests, then today we get the privilege of looking at some of the women of God in the Old Testament. Mighty women of God who were respected, who were revered, and admired. They were used of God to bring about victories in war and in politics. 
They fought racism, they fought oppression, and they made the worlds in which they lived uh, safer. Now, we just read about Deborah, who served as a prophet and a judge of Israel, or at least some section of Israel at that time. She had a position of authority. She carried the anointing and the mantle of God to hear from him and to speak and move on his behalf. She held the office of the prophet and the position of judge, which, uh, she was the, which meant she was the de facto ruler of Israel, uh, or at least the area in which she served. Now, during this series, we've talked a lot about the call of God on the lives of believers. Um, We've talked about the fact that God has a plan and a purpose for each one of us, that he handcrafted and designed us with that purpose in mind. And I, I think it's easy to hear about Daniel and about Jeremiah and about Joseph and kind of get overwhelmed about the call of God and what that might be in our lives. Do you ever read the Bible and kind of get intimidated about how these people responded to the call of God? Uh, I do. So today I want to I bring that call of God maybe into a little sharper focus. And I want to start out by asking a very simple but life-changing question. And as I was preparing this message, this is the question that it felt like God just kept drilling into my brain, okay? Here's the question. What if the call of God in your life is not an office, but an opportunity? What if the call of God in your life is not an office, but an opportunity? What if the call of God in your life does not require changing your vocation or your location? What if you don't have to move to Africa and become a missionary? What if you don't have to do any public speaking? What if the call of God on your life doesn't take place on a stage or even in public anywhere? What if fulfilling that for which you were created is about living your life with your eyes wide open to the kingdom potential that's all around you? That once-in-a-lifetime moment that changes everything, or even those small moments every day that accumulate into a legacy of obedience and faithfulness to God's call. Either way, I want us today to to take the example of some of the ladies from the Old Testament in a message called Women of God, Nailing the Opportunity. Nailing the Opportunity. Uh, It's my favorite message uh, in a long time, so you'll find out why here in just a minute. So here's the background on this passage of Scripture that that we just read so so that it makes sense to you. This book, the book of Judges, uh, covers a period of time after Joshua had died. You, You remember hearing about Moses and then Joshua. Well, now Joshua is dead, but before Israel became ruled by kings, Saul and David and Solomon and, and, and so forth, there was this period of time when there was no strong political or spiritual leader for the nation. The people really, and the Bible talks about this over and over again in this book, it says they really just did whatever they wanted to do, um, which is almost never a good idea. If you're trying to please the Lord, just doing whatever seems right to you uh, never want, keep, puts you in the place where God wants you to be. And so it was as disastrous as it sounds like it would be, and, and they would begin to sin and fall into a, to a lifestyle of sin as a nation. And after a while, uh, the, Lord, the, the Lord would send uh, an enemy 
to uh, make their lives miserable. They would steal from them. They would harass them. They would defeat them in war. And then after a while, the people would cry out to God in repentance and they would ask that God would deliver them from their enemies. And then God would raise up a leader because he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. When we repent, he'd raise up a leader. They called that leader a judge. And that judge would rally the troops and chase the enemy out and reestablish peace and justice and order in the nation. And that would usually last as long as the judge lived. And then when the judge died, they'd repeat the cycle. Now, you've heard about judges. You might not have known that that's what they were, but Gideon and Samson and lots of others served in that position throughout this period. And in this case, in this time frame, the judge is named Deborah. Now, Deborah gets a word from the Lord. This is how this works. She gets a word from the Lord, um, and in obedience to whatever the Lord says, then in this case, she called a man named Barak uh, to come and see her. And she says, Barak, here's, the, here's what God has said. He's chosen you to deliver the people of Israel against their formidable opponent uh, led by a general named Sisera. Okay? So y'all stay with me. Deborah and Barak are the good guys. Sisera is the bad guy. All right? So Deborah is leading uh, from her office. But for Barak, this is an opportunity. Deborah has the job, she has the title, she has the office. Barak, this is just an opportunity. He may or may not have already been a military leader. It's not unusual for God to call people who have no prior experience to fill positions. So he may or may not have already been a a military-minded person. But this was Barak's opportunity to deliver the people of God from the hand of the enemy. Call out 10,000 soldiers and God would send Sisera to a particular place in time and God guaranteed the victory when he would do that. He was faced with an opportunity, but his response was kind of a mixed bag. He didn't say no, so that was good, but he did qualify his yes. He said, yes, I'll do it, but Deborah, you got to go with me. Um, what was that about? Well, she was the representative of God for, for them in that day, and, and he was kind of hedging his bet. If he was going to go to battle, he wanted her to be as close as he could in case things start to go sideways and she could call on the name of the Lord for him. In his mind, she was kind of his good luck charm. She was like the guarantee that this was going to go okay. So let me, ask, let me ask you this question again. What if the call of God for our lives is not an office to fill, but an opportunity to take? There will be times in our lives when, just like Barak, we'll be faced with an opportunity to do something for the Lord. Maybe it's something big, like leading 10,000 soldiers into a battle. Or maybe it's something smaller than that, like leading 10 people in a small group or a Bible study in your home. No matter how big the task is, what's your response going to be? Will you just flat refuse to do it? Will you say a faith-filled and enthusiastic yes? Or are you going to try to negotiate with God to make yourself feel more comfortable or more courageous or more confident? See, Barak was clearly not confident about something. Either he didn't believe that what, what she says the Lord said was reliable, or he wasn't sure that he had what it took to fulfill the call of God on his life. Have you ever doubted what you thought you heard the Lord say? Like the Lord said something to you and you're like, eh, I'm 
I'm not sure if that was the Lord or not. Y'all going to talk to me today? All right? Yeah. So what, what happens when, when that happens? By all means, make sure you're hearing clearly. All right? Stop and find out that so that you know that you know that you know that God said that. All right? So don't do anything until then. You need to make sure you hear him clearly and correctly. But sometimes we get clear on the what. We're just not convinced on the who. Like we're sure that's what God said. We are not so sure that we're the right person for the job. How could God ever use someone like me? Right? I, I don't hold a title. I don't have a rank. I don't have an office. Why would, he, why would he try to send me? What if I fail? What if I make a fool out of myself? What, why, why can't somebody else do it? Why can't he use someone more spiritual? Why can't he use someone more qualified? Why can't he use someone with more experience than I've got? Here's what I want you to see from, from this passage about Barak. Your courage and your confidence should come from the call itself. Your courage and your confidence should come from the fact that God called you in the first place. Listen, Barak didn't need Deborah to go. He needed to trust in the Lord. His confidence should have come from the fact that God called him in the first place. Uh, unless Deborah was lying about the whole thing, which is cl- he clearly didn't believe that, then the fact that God gave him a job to do should be all the confidence that he needed to go and carry it out. Listen, if I give you a job, then I'm taking a risk that you might not be what I think you are. Right? Like, maybe y'all are good at interviewing, but not so good at working. Alright? Y'all know people like that? Never mind. So, that, that never happens with God. That doesn't happen with him. He knows you because he built you. He's not surprised about anything. You don't have any flaws that are hidden to God. He sees them all. He knows every one of those things. God never takes chances on people. I know it sounds good, like in a testament, well, God took a chance on me, and bless God, I was able to. He didn't take a chance on you. He gave you an opportunity. He, if you couldn't have done the job, he wouldn't have given you the opportunity. God never takes chances. So if you got the call, then you're the one. So when he calls you to something, the only appropriate answer is Yes. Followed by, thank you, God, for believing in me. Thank you for equipping me. Thank you for empowering me. Thank you for directing me. Help me to do everything I'm about to do for your honor and for your glory alone. That's it. And then you just get busy doing what he told you to do. The call itself should be all the confidence and all the courage you need to get out there and do what he said. He was not kidding and he's never wrong. Amen. But Barak didn't see it that way. So he accepted on the condition that Deborah would accompany him. So she accepted his invitation. See, Deborah wasn't a soldier. She wasn't a warrior either. But she's like, yeah, I'll go with you. Because I'm like, God's got this. 
Uh, we already know how this ends, so you want me to come with you? Okay, I'll come watch the slaughter. Not a big deal. She said yes immediately and enthusiastically, but she said, listen here, Bubba, because you wouldn't do what God called you to do the way he called you to do it, then you're not going to get any honor for doing this. You, you're not going to receive, they're not going to remember you as a brave and mighty warrior. The honor is going to go to a woman. Now, I know what you're thinking. If you've never heard this, this passage before, I know what you're thinking. Old Debbie, that's what we called her in school. Old Debbie, she's going to run out on the battlefield. She's going to bust some heads and, and she's going to kick some tails and take some names. That is not what happened. There's another woman waiting in the wings. So let's read about that. Judges 4, 12 through 18. When Sisera told that, was told that Barak son of Abinoam had gone up to Mount Tabor. He called for all 900 of his iron chariots and all of his warriors, and, the, <clears throat> and they marched from his home to the Kishon River. Then, y'all stop it. Y'all can't say it either. Then Deborah said to Barak, get ready. This is the day the Lord will give you victory over Sisera, for the Lord is marching ahead of you. Barak led his 10,000 warriors down the slope of Mount Tabor into the battle when Barak attacked the Lord through Sisera and all of his chariots and warriors into a panic. Sisera leaped down from his chariot and escaped on foot. That's a great leader right there. Then Barak chased the chariots and the enemy army all the way back to where they came from, killing all of Sisera's warriors. Not a single one was left alive. Meanwhile, Sisera ran to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber, the, uh, the Kenite, because Heber's family was on friendly terms with King Jabin of Hazor. Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, Come into my tent, sir. Come in. Don't be afraid. So he went into her tent. She covered him with a blanket. Now, it... it Jael is the wife of Sisera's allies. He figured it'd be safe in that camp. That's why he ran there. And particularly in the, in the tent of a woman. Men were not allowed to be in the tent of a woman who was not their wife. So, their, their wife. so he figured Barak wouldn't think to look for him there. So he figured that's, this is a great place. Jael clearly did not hold the same alliance with Sisera that her husband did. Uh, she allowed him to enter the tent under the guise of of hospitality, but she knew this was an opportunity. Right in front of her was the enemy of God's people. Now, she wasn't Jewish, but the Kenites had been allies of Israel for decades, hundreds of years, as a matter of fact, since the days of Moses. She would, would, she, would she protect Sisera and hide him, or was she going to deliver him into the hands uh, of, of Israel? She had the good sense to realize that whatever her next move was, it was going to have serious consequences. So let's see what she did. Judges 4, 19 through 20. Um, Please give me some water, he said. I'm, I'm thirsty. So she gave him some milk from a leather bag, and she covered him again. Some translations say it was yogurt. Um, I bet that was delicious. So whatever it was, she gave him something to eat. Um, And she covered him up again. Stand at the door of the tent, he said. If anybody comes and asks you if there's anyone here, say no. Now, it seems like she's already made up her mind. He asked for water. She gave him something much heavier. He got full. 
He got comfortable. He was exhausted from the battle and from running for his life. He felt safe in the camp of an ally. And so the next step was inevitable in J.L.'s plan. He went to sleep. Anybody would have gone to sleep in that situation. But then what was she going to do? Verses 21 through 24. When Sisera fell asleep from exhaustion, J.L. quietly crept up to him with a hammer and a tent peg in her hand. Y'all going, oh no, she isn't. Oh yes, she is. Then she drove the tent peg through his temple and into the ground. And <laughs> I love the Bible. And so he died. You think? <laughs> and so he woke up and said, ouch, that really hurt. Um, verse 22, when Barak came looking for Sisera, J.L. went out to meet him. She said, uh, come, uh, come here and I'll show you where he's at. Uh, come, I'll show you the man you're looking for. So he followed her into the tent and there he was lying dead with the tent peg through his temple. So on that day, Israel saw God defeat Jabin, the Canaanite king. And from that time on, Israel became stronger and stronger against King Jabin until they finally destroyed him. J.L. is a bad woman, y'all. Um, she, she saw the opportunity right in front of her and she nailed it. Thank you very much. Thank you. I'll be here next week too. She nailed the opportunity. Literally and figuratively. How did, how did she do that? Like, How did she move so fast to formulate the plan? How was she going to know he going to show up at her tent? Like, How did she know? How did she move so fast to get that and then carry out that plan? Because she already knew what side she was on. As soon as she saw him, she recognized him not as her husband's ally, but as God's enemy. She had already chosen before Sisera ever showed up. I'm going to ask you again. What if God's call on your life is not to an office, but to an opportunity? If we're going to nail the opportunity that he presents to us, then we're not going to have time to sit down and do the math. In that moment, you have to choose right now, today, what side are you on? Are you a follower of Jesus? Are you not? Or are you not? You say, well, I believe in the stuff that Jesus says. Listen, if you are a follower of Jesus, that means you follow him where he leads you. So are you a follower of Jesus or not? If you are, that means it's an automatic yes to whatever opportunity he puts in front of you. So here's how I want to say this. You're saying yes now to an opportunity later. You're like, well, hang on, I need to see. No, you don't need to see it. You just need to know where it comes from. Do you trust Jesus or not? Do you trust that when he says you're called to do it, you're going to do it? If you trust God, then you trust the things he puts in front of you. So you're saying yes today to an opportunity that you might not see for a little while. See, this was, this was it for J.L. She's never, again, she's never again in the Bible. She didn't go on to become like Mulan or something. She didn't, she, they didn't make her prime minister of Israel or, whatever, or wherever, the Kenites. They didn't make her like CIA director or anything. She, her call wasn't to an office. 
It was an opportunity to rise to. And boy, did she rise to the occasion. Right? But then she just went back to being a housewife. That was it. Listen, when your God moment arrives, will you get your courage from the call? Will you take decisive action on behalf of the kingdom because you've already made up your mind? Have you already said yes to whatever it is God puts in front of you? Deborah and J.L. are strong women of God who are showing us how to nail the opportunities that we get. And there's one last lady I'd like to look at today. Her name is Esther. Esther. Now, there's an entire book dedicated to her. It's it's, uh, titled after her. It tells her whole story. It is perhaps the most entertaining and intriguing book of the Bible. It's it's a page-turner, y'all, I'm telling you. It's an incredible story. Here's the nutshell version. A few decades after the death of Daniel, we've been talking about Daniel a good bit, a few decades after he died, the king of Persia had a falling out with his queen, and he decided he wanted a new one, so he ordered 400 young virgins from all over the kingdom to be brought to him so he could choose his new wife. And they would be well taken care of, they would be given beauty treatments for a year, allowed their choice of wardrobe, pretty much whatever they wanted, they were given. Uh, and then he would spend one night with each of them, and then he would choose who was going to be his next queen. Esther, uh, her, whose Hebrew name was Hadassah, uh, was a young Jewish girl. She was astoundingly beautiful. She was also wise and humble. Um, she was selected, uh, I'll put selected in quotations, um, as one of the 400. And eventually, she was chosen to be his new queen. Her cousin, Mordecai, who had raised her after her parents' death, uh, would come and check on her, and he worked in the palace as well as some sort of um, low-level government worker, but he was close, so he'd come and stay in touch with her. Well, one day, Mordecai's enemy um, hatched a really diabolical scheme with the king's approval to kill all the Jews in the kingdom. Remember, the Jews had been taken into captivity, were now in this kingdom, and he wanted to kill all all of them on a certain day in the, in the fairly near future, just a few months into the future. The king had no idea that his queen was Jewish, and she had no idea of this plot. So Mordecai heard about the plot, and he immediately started to weep and to mourn and to fast. So Esther asked her, uh, her cousin, what, what's the problem? And he told her about the plot. And he asked her to go to the king and ask for mercy and for his help. Now, to go to the king in those days meant that you were immediately put to death. If you were uninvited, you were immediately put to death unless the king extended his scepter to you and said it's okay for that person to come. So she would literally be taking her life into into her hands if she went to the king. And there was no guarantee that he would even help her uh, out of the predicament. It was a huge risk. But I want you to see what Mordecai told her. Esther chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. This is probably the most famous line from this book. Mordecai sent his reply to Esther. He said, don't think for a moment because you're in the palace that you're going to escape when all the other Jews are killed. If, If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place, but you and your relatives will die. Who knows 
if perhaps you were made queen for just such a time as this. So Esther sent uh, this reply to Mordecai, go gather all the Jews in, in the city that they're living in, in Susa, and fast for me. Don't eat or drink for three days, uh, night or day. My maids and I will do the same. And then, though it's against the law, I will go in to see the king. And if I must die, then I must die. So Mordecai went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him to do. Esther had an opportunity. An opportunity to save the people of God. It was a monumental decision with generational consequences. Right? This was as big as it gets. Here's the spoiler alert. Esther stepped up. She went into the king. She developed this ingenious plan, and she worked that plan to perfection to save the Jewish people. The Jewish people still celebrate this occasion in what's called the Festival of Purim. It, it's among, among some Jewish people, they say it's their favorite holiday of the year that remembers the, what Esther did. Now, let me offer you some context, maybe a different way of looking at the story. I think most of the time we read the story of the account of Esther and we imagine the lush extravagance of the Persian palace. We think about all your needs being met. We think about servants at every side for your, to every beck and call. And we think, now that's a pretty good life right there. Like that's a, that's, that, is a, that must be a tremendous blessing to be able to live like that. I want you to think about this. From the moment that she was chosen, you know, see my air quotes there? From the moment she was chosen as one of the women, her life changed. Complete different direction. She did not ask to be chosen and they did not ask if she wanted to be. She, being chosen meant that you had a 1 in 400 chance to be the queen. 399 chances to become part of his harem. Either way, whether you're the queen or you're part of the harem, they would never be able to find the love of their lives of their choosing, never get to follow their own path, never sleep with any other man except the one who had hundreds of other women to choose from. Did you ever consider that maybe Esther didn't want to be queen? Here's the interesting thing about the opportunities that we're called to. Sometimes God uses the one thing in your life that you wish you could change to position you for the one opportunity that changes everything. Sometimes God will use the one thing in your life you wish you could change to position you for the one opportunity that changes everything. She was in a unique position to have the opportunity to save her people. Like who else had the opportunity to go into the presence of the king immediately? It was a once in a lifetime chance. We don't remember Esther because she was queen. We remember her because she nailed the opportunity when it arose. We don't remember her just because she was beautiful. We remember her for her bravery. But she wouldn't have been remembered at all if she had not been chosen for the king. It was precisely because of that life-changing, maybe uninvited development in her life that she was able to leverage her royal position for the benefit of her people. 
Don't forget what we talked about with Joseph a few weeks ago. The plan of God involves you. It includes you. But ultimately, it's not about you. God didn't arrange for Esther to be the queen just so she could have a great life. It ultimately wasn't even about her. It was about saving the Jews from genocide. She may have thought she was being punished for some reason by being married to a Persian king. It wasn't even about that. She had to be in that position for such a time as this because God's people was going to need a well-connected advocate. Let me ask you this one last time. What if God's call for your life is not an office that you're going to hold? but an opportunity you're going to be presented with. And let me take that one step further. What if the opportunity that you're presented with arises out of the one thing in your life you wish you could change? What things in your life are you bucking against that God could use for His glory? What's that thing that you, don't, you just don't even want to talk about? Like you wish it had never happened. What if that's the thing that God's going to use for His honor and for His glory? What if, what if you saw that thing different? That thing you, you try your best to ignore, the thing you try your best not to think about. What if you saw it differently? What if you quit fighting so hard about it and just, just open your eyes? Like, What if God's got you in a place right now that you don't even want to be in? Like you get up, your eyes pop open in the morning, you're like, ugh got to go and do this thing or be in this place or work this job or see these people what what if you quit fighting so hard and you just opened your eyes to the kingdom opportunities that might be right in front of you if you're going to nail the opportunity like Esther did like JL did then you're going to have to be alert to the power of your position you're like John what are you talking about power of my position I ain't got no position I just get up and go to work I'm just a grunt. I just, no, the, the position, not your proximity to power, your ability to help those who are around you, your ability to help the people who might need it the most. The, maybe you're the one person in your circle of influence who actually listens to God when He speaks. I believe there are opportunities around us all the time. Big ones and small ones. But all of them placed in front of us by God to affect change in the world or to just change the world for one person. I always remember every year before we start, I, I drive a school bus and um, I remember Pastor Robbie sharing and he shared this uh, in the pulpit too a few years ago, but he said he stepped on the bus with a plan to end his life. And the bus driver said, well, good morning, handsome. And he went and sat down. And that changed his life. That greeting, which she may not have even thought about, changed his life. He's like, man, that's pretty cool. I'd like to be used like that. You can be. Aren't you around folks? people who need Jesus 
then take those chances. Do you have the courage to step up when God calls you to? The, the fact that the opportunity is presented to you should be all the courage you need. The courage comes from the call. But listen, you have to decide today to say yes to whatever's going to be presented tomorrow. You may not have time to think about it. You may, you may need to nail that thing immediately. Are you willing to allow God to redeem the one thing in your life that you're trying desperately to forget? Are you willing to allow Him to redeem it to help other people? You may not be called to an office. You may not be called to a position of power. But all of us are called to the opportunities that are in front of us. Y'all stand with me, please. Every once in a while, you'll hear people uh, in government complain about unfunded mandates. You ever heard that term? When Congress passes a law that requires things of those under them, but they don't give them any money to carry it out. <laughs> it's an unfunded mandate. You've got to do it, but you better find the money yourself because we're not giving you the money. That's great. Don't you love that? Um, nobody loves that. God doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. If he calls you, if he requires it of you, he's going to give you everything you need to carry it out. There are no unfunded mandates in the kingdom of God. The king is loaded, y'all. And he'll give you everything you need to carry out his will in your life. You just have to say yes. So we're going we're gonna, to uh, pray. I'm going to pray here in just a second and invite you to this altar. Corey and the team will sing one more song and we'll be dismissed together in just a minute. I believe that the Holy Spirit is already working on some of you to say yes today to what you're going to see tomorrow. And that's what it takes. And so I, if you want to come and pray about that, if you want to say, John, I'd like to say yes, I'm absolutely scared to death. Cool. That's okay. You can, do, you can walk in faith and be scared to death. They are not mutually exclusive. They can't occupy the same space. It's just a matter of which voice are you going to listen to. So if you want to pray about stepping out and being willing to answer the call of God and to nail the opportunities that He puts in your life, then we can do that. If you've got something else going on in your life that you want to pray about, you've got a big decision to make, you've got a financial issue, you've got a relationship issue, a, a, an issue in your body, whatever it is, you can come and pray. And, and, and me and the prayer team will be happy to pray with you about anything you've got going on. Okay? But for the next few minutes, don't run for the doors. Just, just spend a little bit of time in the presence of God and let Him speak to you. Father, I thank you for the chance to be in your house today. Thank you that you trust us more than we trust ourselves and maybe even more than we trust you. And I pray that you would help us to learn to have place our faith in you, trust you, and to say yes today and to walk in that courage from the call. God, we love you. We thank you for the chance to come and lay our needs at the altar. And I pray, God, that your Holy Spirit would just lead us and guide us. In Jesus' name, amen. 
We pray that you have been blessed and inspired by today's Covenant Living broadcast. To find out more information about our ministry, just visit our website at www.covenantlifewestga.org. You can find this video there on our homepage. Just click the YouTube button and make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. Give us a call at 770-537-3747. That's 770-537-3747. At Covenant Life, our mission is to go and make disciples by being real, relational, and reaching. Be sure to join us next week for more Covenant Living with Pastor John Butler.